2: That is douglas.ca slash Canadaland. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canadaland. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to Canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, if you like podcasts, support one, this one. Uh, for 5 bucks Canadian a month, we will give you ad-free Canada Land twice a week, and uh, you'll be helping us make this show. It's sort of how we make this show. Go to CanadaLandShow.com slash join, or just click on the link in the show notes. It takes moments. It's a couple of clicks. It's not that much money, and uh, you just go do it. The most powerful journalist in Canada to me is probably Suresh Doss. Unlike most reporters or pundits, Suresh has the power to make me actually do things, like get into my car and drive for an hour to get a sandwich. Suresh Doss is a food journalist, and he specializes in, for lack of a better term, ethnic food. Toronto happens to be one of the best cities in the world for eating food from all over the world. Months ago, Suresh was tweeting about some Sri Lankan catering joint out in Ajax, Kusini Catering, and they do this regional black rice dish that he said he had rarely seen on any menu. And he was going on and on about it, and my mouth was watering, and I made a mental note that on the weekend, I would need to drive to Ajax to try that place. Food missions like that are a weekend treat for me, in part because the weekday lunch options near our downtown office Are pretty bleak. Like, if I check my food takeout app, there are literally three different chicken wing places on the same block a Jack Astor's, a Hooters, and an office pub that is actually called Office Pub. But on that particular day, the weirdest thing happened. Two new joints popped up on my app that I had never heard of before, both of them offering Sri Lankan food. Their menus were filled with things that I had never heard of, and so I ordered myself some lunch and I set off to the address listed, expecting to see signs for these new businesses, one called Rusi and the other one called Sri Lankan Smash Kitchen. These new businesses that had somehow decided to launch during a global pandemic in a business district with no businesses open on that same block that has the three chicken wing joints. And when I arrived at the address on the app, I was standing in front of the office pub, And I looked around, confused, and I saw that there was a sandwich board on the sidewalk instructing me to go to the basement if I was there to pick up food from Russi or Smash Kitchen. It turns out that I had ordered my lunch from a ghost kitchen. The office pub was closed, its owner bleeding money on his massive downtown Toronto commercial lease. His industrial kitchen had just been sitting there. And so a bunch of office pub employees who, like a lot of the people who fry chicken wings in Toronto restaurants, they launched a couple of virtual businesses. A kitchen, a central location, and a few food apps, and that's all they needed. They were up and running. And then to make things even weirder, after a bit of chat with them and a bit of clicking around, I figured out that these guys were the same people behind Cusini Catering, the place that Suresh Das had been tweeting about in the first place. And they're just one such operation. There are hundreds of them, maybe thousands. And they've been exploding in numbers since the pandemic hit. Ghost kitchens, restaurants that look like restaurants on an app, but in reality, it might be some auntie's stovetop. There are illicit noodles and gray market sandwiches. I'd stumbled onto the food underground. And the food underground is a world that Suresh Das has been exploring as feverishly as he used to explore taco joints in faraway strip malls. His work has never stopped because, you know, this fucking virus has taken so much from us. It's this ongoing lesson in deprivation. We're learning about all of the things that we can live without schools, offices, live music, each other. And it sucks, but yeah, we can live without all of it, but we can't live without food. Food will find a way. And Suresh Das joins me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by Farhan Mohammed, Melissa Campbell, Gustavo Simon, B. Martin, Mary Scott, Sean McCormick, Dana King, and Amanda Chirico.
3: Hi, my name is Amanda Chirico, and I'm a sign language interpreter from Toronto. I support Canada land because I feel it's important to invest in independent media outlets in Canada. I enjoy all of the shows on the podcasts, and I like that they give me the opportunity to dive more deeply into issues that I may not have known were happening. Thunder Bay was what brought me here, and I'm really looking forward to Niagara Falls. Keep up the great
2: work. This episode is brought to you by the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, at betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com slash Canada I,
4: I had this dish for the first time when I was in Bangkok, Kanom, Tokyo, but I've never seen it in the GTA uh, until recently.
1: kanom Tokyo, actually like Thai, right? But I don't know like original name, why it's named like Tokyo. But it's um, basically it's like um, crepe or pancake and then we roll it make it like a bice side yeah
4: picture just a hot dog which is wrapped with a crepe. And the crepe has kind of been made in this lacy pattern. So you kind of can see the hot dog as the crepe is wrapped around it. And sometimes in the stuffing, you'll have like a kaya, which is this coconut sort of custard cream, or pandan, which is another cream made from pandan leaf. So these are like, you know, snacky kind of items. And it's not really made to be in a restaurant. It's kind of made to be cooked for the family on a Sunday morning. So I found myself standing at a subway station on the Danforth uh, on a Sunday morning, waiting outside for a person who wants us to only use her Facebook name, JP, and her partner, Nookie. And how do you spell your name?
1: Actually, my name is like Nook, N-O-K. But people here like call me Nookie, more easier because Nok is like Thai name, right? Yeah. yeah, that's why.
4: So I came across JP and Nookie through Facebook Marketplace. Um, one day I was just scrolling through it to see if there were foods that I haven't tried before, and I saw this Kanom Toki for the very first time, and I ordered it.
1: When you start like eating it, you cannot stop eating it.
4: JP and Nuki live in Scarborough. They live very close to the Victoria Park station. And uh, they, they, they're they living in an area where they're concerned about the spread of COVID and being in uh, close spaces. So they figured we'll, we'll just tell our clients to meet us at subway stations.
1: Yes, only subway, pretty much subway station, because it's more easier. We don't need to like take the bus or something like that.
4: And, you know, for in my example, I would meet JP at main station where I'd be outside and she would come outside and present me with this box and I would give <laughs> her cash and I would finish the box before I would even get home.
2: Um, it sounds like and- a drug deal. <laughs> so you're just arranging these clandestine uh, handoffs, uh, these exchanges and I I, I'm, I I am a little bit stuck on the actual food itself. I don't really associate hot dogs with Thai food. I, I, what's the polite way to sound this? A hot dog wrapped in a in a in a sweet crepe with custard does sound gross to me. Um, you know, in Southeast Asian culture. There are
4: many, many, many foods that would fall under the category of fusion, just because people love combining interesting uh, combination of flavors. In this particular case, what works is that simple marriage between salty and sweet.
1: Yeah, and this is one of my, my favorite like, snacks too, right? And I cannot find it here too, actually. I cannot buy anywhere here in Toronto. That's why I decided to make my own. And when I made it, I let her try it. She said, why don't you just post it on social media or something, right? Like some might interest it, like to order it or something. That's that, that how we started.
4: So JP and Nuki uh, used to work in the hospitality industry. They used to work for a restaurant in the city. They say that their dream is to open a place that specializes in Konom Tokyo. That was the intention a couple of years ago. But because of the amount leases cost in the city, they were just not able to open a place that specializes in crepes and hot dogs.
1: This is just like my, 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 my part time because I, I start doing this because like we have plan in the future to have a like store.
4: So
1: you would open a store just for Kanoom Tokyo? Yeah. Oh, You know that like cheesecake, you know cheesecake, Anko Chosu, right? Only cheesecake.
4: The pandemic has kind of given them the opportunity to test out this concept to see if there's an audience. And they sell this stuff only on the weekends using the subway line and they sell out. They're making a very small batch, but it has given them the confidence to look for a space that would specialize
2: in just Kanoom Tokyo. This is interesting to me as well because uh, I, I, I guess this isn't something that came through word of mouth through like, you know, foodie and food industry. Like you're just looking through pictures on your Facebook feed and then you're meeting strangers in the subway for a box of pancake wrapped hot dogs. Uh, it, it's, it's a completely different twist on the usual... You know, food hunt the, the 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 Toronto food hunt for like where's the lineup, where's the where's the lunch spot that everybody's talking about, or that nobody yet knows.
4: Yeah, that's, that's a good point because in the before times, as a, um, as a food writer, I'd spend the majority of my time driving up and down streets, in whether it's in Scarborough or North York, and just looking left and right at signs and seeing new places, seeing where people are going into. And with the pandemic, and I, we, in our house, we've kind of made a decision. For to to keep me at home, because we have a, a, a newborn and my parents are, you know, they're um, completely compromised. So I wanted to make sure that I'm not spending time going to restaurants. So I've spent a lot of time on marketplace. But at the same time, I've seen this huge uptick of people that are just taking to marketplace to be able to sell a uh, full range from snacks and appetizers, to whole presentations uh, of a feast, and even desserts. So in many of these cases, this is home-style cooking. This is cooking you wouldn't find at a restaurant. And that is really, at the end of the day, what is intriguing to me. It's the kind of food a mother, father, or auntie would make for you if you went to their place. And and I saw a posting on Marketplace where a woman, Anita, was offering just two items. Idli, a, a white steamed rice cake. It kind of looks like a puck, but it's white. It's usually open fermented for about a day or two till the batter bubbles. And biryani. A biryani is this rice cooked with stock and uh, laced with uh, protein, or it could be with vegetables. And so for me, idli is very personal because it reminds me of my mother. She would make a batter. We would have idlis on Sundays and maybe dosas the next day because the batter was even more fermented. You can, I guess you can find Idli in a number of restaurants in the GTA, but the execution can be, can be a wild miss because there is a certain level of skill and patience that you need and intuitiveness also when you're making that batter. Plus there's also the idea of, you know, like everyone's batter is going to taste different because it just uses, you know, the, um, the, the, what's in the air to make the ferment.
2: Like a sourdough bread, I guess.
4: Absolutely. So I responded quickly when I saw the, the posting with the usual, is this still available? And, uh, you know, it's the response that you typically push through Facebook. And she responded right away. And I said, you know, I'll take whatever you have, a box of each. And a few days later, I'm in this parking lot at the corner of Markham and Ellesmere in Scarborough waiting for Anitha while another customer of hers showed up. Good, how are, so, how are you?
3: How are you? Good, good to see you. How's it going? Good, right? good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a customer. Shalom.
4: Okay. Shalom, shalom. So, um, oh, can you introduce yourself and tell me where you live? Where are you from? I live in Lindsay,
3: um, so I work as a project manager. With Lindsay to here is like one, one and a half hours.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so this guy drives an hour and a half from Lindsay, Ontario, in order to pick up food from a stranger who he met on Facebook Marketplace.
4: Yeah, I mean, don't you do that? I mean, <laughs> I feel like I've done similar things. Um, haven't you?
2: I, I don't want to admit the lengths that I've gone to for food. Uh, you know, I, I, look, people travel around the world on for food trips, so what's an hour and a half drive?
4: I mean, also, it's not a dish that keeps in a styrofoam container for an hour and a half. It really isn't. But, I mean, there are people that will take the time to... You know, drive that distance because these dishes are about nostalgia and heritage. And it reminds these people of a time and place. And you can't necessarily find that in a restaurant. So if you know that there's a home cook in Scarborough that does Italy the way you remember it, that, you know, your grandmother or your mother used to do, of course you would drive. Yeah. We drove an hour and a half
3: to get Anita's food. Why? Because I'm a foodie. Um, Her food is good. Uh, food is actually terrific, it's really good. Does it remind you of something? Like, is it, does it remind
4: you of anything back home? Like, emotionally,
3: what, what, oh, yeah, what is it about our food? like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not that you don't get uh, food outside. Um, one thing which I liked, I think even I told her, like the very first time I, I got a food, I told her that, you know, it's, it's really tasty. And please do not compromise on the taste because that is what which made me come here, right? Um, Yeah, so definitely taste activates your taste buds, activates your nostalgia back home. Yeah, so I think it does that.
2: It's really something, I mean, in this time when we're more isolated from each other, cut off from each other, like you can't go into a room with other people and dine and do this very human thing of of eating in a restaurant amongst other people, but it's like you found this way to have arguably a deeper connection, like to actually have access to somebody's, home cooking, something that would never be on a menu, and people connecting with kind of like nostalgic food memories and finding that one dish that maybe they haven't had in, in years. How much of this are you doing? Um,
4: I, I hope my mom and my wife are not listening to this. Um, so, I mean, in the before times, I would average about 12 to 15 restaurants a week. Now, obviously not. So, uh, for me, it's it's not just that I want to eat this food. It's that I want to obviously... I want to learn about how broken our systems are and how we, we're not really, we don't really have the incubation to be able to bring these cooks to some sort of restaurant. So I'm trying to obviously learn more about it from my own edification. Sure. Sure. Say,
2: how, how much are you doing?
4: <laughs> I'd say about, I don't know, four or five times a week, maybe. Wow. Know, not every week, but do you ever get burned on a deal? In some cases, I just think that the spicing is not where it should be. But I've never been like I mean the the this this food is like cheap and it shouldn't be cheap. But I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've had a bad experience. It's just maybe not to my liking.
2: Why do the cooks do this? I mean, like like you say, this food is largely ridiculously underpriced for the amount of effort involved. Why does somebody like Anitha run an operation like this?
4: So there are a lot of, when you talk to a lot of the home cooks, you find that there's a lot of similarities in why, they, why they're doing what they're doing. In this case, uh, Anita and her husband, they come from South India, from Hyderabad. They moved to Canada a few years ago, and both are very accomplished home cooks. They come from this long lineage of, of cooking at home, so they're very, very talented. And they know how to make dishes that have, have recipes that are probably spanning centuries. And they also refer to themselves as foodies. So they like to go out and eat in Scarborough and they've said that they love the fact that Scarborough has such a wide variety of foods. But they couldn't find the kind of home cooking that they were used to from the various cafes and homes of Hyderabad. So Kamal, uh, her her husband, agreed and encouraged the idea of opening a small place. And here's where they run into their first hurdle. Rent Rent in Toronto and the GTA now has skyrocketed in the last five years. So this is why also you have a lot of home cooks that have relied on street food festivals in the past, whether it's the festival that the TIFF puts on or whether it's a food truck festival. For these home cooks, that's another way to test out their menu, get some capital, build an audience without having to open a restaurant. But
2: under the pandemic, even that is, uh, of course, impossible.
4: Yeah, I mean, for the last couple of years, a night market or food festival has been the only entry point for these guys to try things. But you have none of that now. So that's why we're seeing the third option. So no restaurant, no food truck festival, no street food festival. You're seeing the grey market. You're seeing social media. Where you have this potential audience of hundreds of thousands of people that will drive to you if the if the menu speaks. So I had the chance to visit Anitha again to kind of just check out her operation. And what you're about to hear is her preparing the tadka. So you have this Italy, right, which she... Uh, steams and serves it to you in a styrofoam container, and the idli is always accompanied by a few different chutneys. In Anita's case, uh, she wasn't prepared to cater at an event, so she decided to limit her radius originally to her, her apartment complex. She wanted to just cook for people on her floor, because she noticed that there were a lot of people that prefer to go out to get food. They were elderly, and they were worried about contracting COVID, So she wanted to be able to see if at least she could feed the immediate community that's in her complex. And one by one, the orders started becoming a weekly thing. So Kamal and Anitha both cook the dishes and the Italy. um, They have this very small operation and they're cooking out of their apartment home. And we were waiting to serve one of their most loyal customers. This is a person that is immunocompromised and prefers to not leave the building
1: okay uh, so he lives in our apartment I didn't advertise in my apartment and I advertised only in Facebook so what happened was one of my customer came on top to pick up idlis. so that is when when she was traveling in the elevator so this gentleman had asked her what you are getting from this floor then uh, she immediately opened the box and gave the idlis. so please taste it so this uh, uh, customer had tasted and immediately he noted the number from her and then he started calling me Every time he comes here, he picks up just idlis because uh, they are also part of our community, so they know how to make the sides for it. But since they both are old, they cannot make the batter you know, using the grinder, and it's, it's going to be a cumbersome process. So that's the reason why he always picks idli from me, and it will be twice or thrice in a week.
4: Anitha has this ritual of whenever she's serving one of her customers, she will serve them a drink, this cold drink called a panakam.
3: From that day, and then I used to buy twice a week or once a week. Uh, I really like it. I bought several places and I don't like it, but this one, uh, really, my wife, my kids, they love it very much.
2: Suresh, this is all illegal, right?
4: Yeah, I want to be sensitive to this topic. I mean, regardless of your opinion of whether it's legal or not, this is happening across the GTA, and I mean, it's happening across the world. And when you say illegal, well, we're talking about the sense that you can't serve or sell food that's cooked out of your home kitchen. Public health will have a field day with that uh, because, you know, um, we have high standards for, for health and safety in this country when it comes to food. So we want to make sure that, like, if you're if you're profiting off food and you're selling food, It should be cooked out of a licensed kitchen, which is why when you walk down the street and you see a restaurant, you have that public health notice on the window, whether it's the yellow, red, or green sign that says, we've inspected this kitchen, it's clean, Um, the temperatures are being adhered to when food is being stored, there are no rats running around, so you can eat here and feel safe.
2: I, I I hear you. I mean, it's it's one of the most kind of basic human activities and freedoms is the ability we, we nourish each other, we cook for each other, we eat each other's food. But like you say, as soon as money changes hands, I mean, it's just necessary that there are safety and health regulations. And all of this is happening. Uh, we can generously say gray zone, but it's probably all illegal.
4: But more than a billion people eat street food every day. Mm-hmm. More than two billion people party eat street food every day. Um, I'll, I'll just be honest. Um, I've met a number of these home cooks over the last couple of years, and I've been in a number of their kitchens pre-COVID, and most of their kitchens are, are immaculate, cleaner than many restaurant kitchens that I've been in. Um, and, you know, these home cooks have to make money somehow, and th- I don't think many of them started this gray market operation thinking they would end up on a top 10 list somewhere. They just wanted to be able to feed their immediate community. And it's just happened that there's an audience for this kind of food. So it started off as a hyper-localized operation, but it's kind of grown from there, um, from an apartment complex to a few blocks or a few subway stops.
2: Look, to me, the fact that it's illegal is is, is a feature and not a bug. As we were saying before, whether something is legal or illegal might be a, a different question than whether it's ethical or unethical. A lot of the stuff that was perfectly legal in the food system and the restaurant system that we, we know so well was not great. The way that workers were treated and the way that the apps were affecting the businesses and the barriers between people and the food they wanna eat. And it seems like there's an opportunity here as there is with everything right now to rewrite those rules. Not just with respect to prepared foods and meals. I know that you've also been buying your groceries through Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) So just for some context,
4: we're probably living in the fruit capital of North America in a sense that because of the demographics in the GTA, we see a very large selection of tropical fruits and tropical ingredients coming from all over the world to Toronto. And this has all happened in the last decade. My mom used to recall that when we were young, she would have a hard time finding certain spices or certain types of mangoes. But now, I mean, most like small mom-and-pop markets or bodegas on the Danforth will have an incredible selection of fruit and vegetables from the Caribbean and Southeast Asia. But because of COVID, a lot of these grocery stores were not buying as normally as they would. So a lot of the stuff was left at the airport, or it just wasn't coming in. So I started to see this huge uptick in private sellers on Facebook Marketplace that were selling fruit.
3: We are talking about um, the fruits like mangosteen, rambutan, I have green adelia, purple passion fruit, coconuts.
4: And this is how I met Jeff Lance. He's a purveyor of tropical fruits. Okay. How much do I owe for this? 25? Yeah. So, I noticed this year, the fruit seeing on Marketplace
3: is is crazy. It is, yes. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, Marketplace, I think it didn't came up to me, like, not much until this COVID thing. Because I've been staying at home, like, doing nothing. So, I've been browsing my phone all the time. My kids wanted to buy food, and we started to search on marketplace because we don't want to go to the supermarket or something like that, that it's crowded, right? And I saw the, the uh, opportunity, so I asked um, my uh, seller, what if I uh, do a, se- a reseller too? So, and then that's where everything starts.
2: What's the draw here? What are you
3: getting from Jeff that you can't get elsewhere?
4: Um, probably nothing. You can find that stuff. In normal times across the GTA, but the quality is just far, far superior. You know, I just think of my time living or traveling through Southeast Asia, and you go to, like, a fruit market, and you get this amazing, beautiful rambutan fruit or, like, a mangustine, and the quality is just incredible because it's from there. And you just would never get that quality here because by the time the fruit travels, you know, it's plucked before it's ripe and it spends two months in a container. Uh, With Jeff, I've just never seen those two fruits this good before.
3: It reminds me of back back home. Like, uh, it reminds me of the fruits that we, we keep on eating back home normally. And here it is hard to find.
4: Jeff is also trying to replace the jobs that he had before and the pandemic has kind of, you know, made life for him fairly unstable.
3: So I have two jobs, both at the airport. Uh, my wife also uh, works at the airport. She got laid off right now. I'm only working weekends. Then weekdays, my full-time job, I got laid off and we don't know when we're coming back. So are you? Are, have you applied for CERB or anything? Like what, what kind of support do you have? I, I am currently on EI. I am currently on EI and um it is not really enough to be honest it's a good help but for my family it's still not enough so I have to make a way to put the food in the table right and is this helping
2: it's helping us a lot yes it is really helpful so rush how do all of these stories end like i i can imagine sort of uh you know, a heartbreaking ending where, you know, the, the the health authorities shut down all these operations or like a really optimistic, happy ending where each of these different entrepreneurs builds a thriving business and, and, and even like sets things right that had gone wrong, you know, like all of the kind of um, sort of soul crushing trends of mass chain restaurants downtown, like out of the ashes, you know, we have a, a new fruit market, a new a new um, you know Monpah owned eatery, and uh, you know, selfishly as a glutton, I have better choices to eat. But these people build businesses, and each of these different entrepreneurs and cooks you've been introducing me to, uh, you know, they, they they thrive out of this crisis. Like is like, where does the truth actually lie in the outcome?
4: I mean, I want to live in that world, Jesse. Uh, I, I I want to see fewer over the top. Like gross food trends and more emphasis on regional cooking from these tiny mom and pop shops, where there's a lot of heart and love and uh, nostalgia to food. And I want to see these uh, these you know young entrepreneurs harness social media and get their brands out and like get their food out and introduce the city to food that it's never seen before to kind of add to this you know cheesy mosaic that we we keep saying that uh, Toronto is about. Um, but there is also you know the flip side, and the flip side is. If you go back to Cusini Catering and the other virtual kitchens that operated out of the uh, office pub, uh, the most rudimentary um, setup in terms of like the, the brick and mortar, right? These guys are operating out of an actual physical space called the office pub. I caught up with San from Cusini Catering recently because he's my connection to the office pub and the other guys that run the operations there. And I asked him, like, you know, so it's been a few months now. Um, how, how are these brands working out?
5: So today we today's our last day at the office pub. Uh, we've been there for nine years and uh, you know we couldn't find a proper solution for our rent agreement. We are on our last year of lease and we pay closer to thirty thousand uh, is our rent. So you know we cannot keep going forward like that with businesses slow the offices are closed. Uh, there's not too much traffic downtown, you know, not a lot of people are there. Condos are empty, so the landlord uh, didn't want to uh, give us a rent reduction. He didn't apply for his rent subsidy. He told us that he's going to apply. We agreed on a $10,000 reduced rent and uh, came back in uh, mid middle, middle, middle of August and said, hey, my rent subsidy is not coming up. And uh, you guys have to pay the full $156,000 rent from April to August, which which was a shock for us. It's sad that uh, the government should have stepped up with these things. Uh, landlords, uh, they're taking their power trip and, you know, uh, ruining a lot of small businesses. Uh, livelihoods of a lot of restaurant owners, the staff who are working, kitchen staff, you know, putting a lot of people out of work now.
3: So what's
4: next then, what are you going to
5: do? What's next? Um, right now, Kusni Catering, and I'll be operating Kusni Catering right now. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see if I can uh, secure something up uh, in the near future.
2: So not only uh, is he not taking over the office pub space and rebranding it Kusini downtown, he's he's lost his job as general manager of the office pub and he's lost this uh this kitchen that he had cheaper access to downtown. And I've lost my uh roti around the corner.
4: Oh <laughs> my, it's so depressing. We've lost the office pub. We've lost the X number of virtual brands that were operating out of that space, serving Sri Lankan food in in a part of the city where you don't have really any great food. But, I mean, San is operating out of another commissary space, and maybe the other guys that were doing the virtual kitchens will find somewhere else to land. There are so many empty kitchens right now in the city, and I have to believe
2: that these guys will find a place somewhere. Suresh, what do you see as coming next? I mean, are, are these Facebook marketplace efforts going to grow into blossoming businesses and then we're going to have like a, a newer, better food scene? Or is the trend that's wiping out restaurants going to take everybody down?
4: Um, this is so depressing to talk about. I mean, like in the last month alone, I think 75 restaurants have closed in Toronto. I think eventually... Facebook Marketplace will see a crackdown of sorts because I don't think we are living in a city where home cooks will be allowed to cook out of their home kitchens. So hopefully they'll be able to move to a commissary and rent a commissary space for 30 bucks an hour and do something there. But I think what you'll also see is that if, as Facebook continues to grow and as listings get pulled off it, you will see smaller and smaller networks take over. It'll be the Instagram group. It'll be the WhatsApp group where the people like Anitha and Jeff go back to that hyper-localized community of their apartment complex or a couple of subway stops. And then they just use that to be able to feed themselves and feed others and hopefully build capital where they can buy or release a space in their neighborhood. But then I also see that, you know, going back to JP and Nookie, They want to open Kanoom Tokyo and they're willing to partner with a cafe where, you know, the cafe will do their pulled espresso shots and JP and Nuki will have a menu in a glass case where they serve Kanoom Tokyo's every weekend. They're open to that, this hybrid model that I see more and more cafe owners and supermarket owners being open to. So there are some good things, but I just don't see the restaurants getting a break from landlords anytime soon.
2: If I cast my view forward three or four months in Toronto, the patios are closing as we move into winter, the dining rooms at 50% or less to keep people socially distanced are not sustainable. I mean, I really think that we're gonna see just mass attrition. Like, I don't know what restaurants are gonna be left. Meanwhile, everybody's got to eat every day. I'll put it this way, Suresh. I would rather be in the position of having to figure out what to do with my successful apartment biryani enterprise right now, than having to figure out what to do with my chain of six downtown Toronto restaurants.
4: I couldn't agree more. I mean, you just you just got to know where to find it.
2: That is your Canada Land. If you like this show, please support it. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com join. Email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is at canadalandshow.com. Suresh Das is well worth your time on Twitter or Instagram. You can find him at Suresh, S-U-R-E-S-H. Our producers this week are Kasia Mihailovic and Rosalind Kufor. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like Canadaland, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you.